Hello, and welcome to episode 155 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. A warm welcome to Thomas G. and Alexandria H. to The Modern Manager community. I have got some exciting news to share for members, which is that if you are a member at any level, starting June 15th with episode 158, you will be able to access a members-only version of this show directly in your podcast player. This members-only feed will include all the same episodes, just without the pitch to join, as well as occasional bonus episodes for members only. Plus, you will also get access to a transcript of each episode, in addition to the standard key takeaways in the bullet point form and the blog articles that I post every week. I'm telling you this now because when these new features release on June 15th, the entry-level membership will go from $2 a month to $5 a month. But if you are already a member at the $2 level, you will get to stay at the $2 for as long as you keep your membership active. So if you want access to the transcripts, additional bonus episodes, and weekly episodes without this membership promo, head on over to themodernmanager.com slash join and sign up now while it's only $2. Okay, today's guest is Stephen Cardinelli. Stephen is a seasoned software entrepreneur and executive. He has more than 20 years of business and technology experience, including founding and running CID Management, a healthcare cost control company that he grew to become one of the largest players in the space before a successful exit in 2015. Stephen has consulted as a business management and technology strategist for organizations including Eli Lilly, Janus Funds, IBM, PricewaterhouseCoopers, and the J. Paul Getty Museum. Stephen is known for his unique perspective to leadership, innovation, and entrepreneurship. And today, Stephen and I talk about lessons from his book, Synaptic Alchemy. If that sounds like a weird topic for today, don't worry. Stephen totally breaks it down, gets into how to know thyself, how to get everyone on your team to better understand themselves and each other, and his three-step process for turning ideas into gold. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Stephen. I am super excited to talk with you about these concepts of synaptic alchemy, because this is like a whole new concept for me. So thanks for joining. Well, I'm so excited to join you and your listeners on your podcast. It'll be great. So we'll be able to apply the concepts of synaptic alchemy to the world of management, which is a new and kind of unique uh, point of view for me. Oh, good. So we're both doing something new today. All right. So let's just dive right in. Give me at the high level, what is synaptic alchemy all about? So I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. And my last company did very well. We started with two people, me and my partner, and we went to 700 people by the time we scaled and sold it. And what was interesting was what I learned in growing a organization and growing essentially a set of teams, becoming not just a manager, but a leader really was the interesting part of kind of building that organization. And I've got the academic underpinnings, you know, so I did an MBA at Wharton and, you know, I did undergrad econ. So all these concepts are really anchored in modern management theory. But what I did was I said, okay, I want to teach some of the things that I learned in growing this organization and growing these teams. And 
how do I teach that in a fun kind of unique way? And I, you know, thought about alchemy, which is really turning, you know, lead into gold. And when we're building teams and when we're building people, it really is in developing people. It really is the idea of turning kind of lead where you get a bunch of people together and turn that into a self-directed, you know, really functional team, which is the gold of organizations. Because at the end of the day, organizations are really just a bunch of people all working towards a common vision. So Synaptic Alchemy really has two separate parts, and we'll go into each one. One is I called Know Thyself, which is the alchemical transformation that people go through as they become leaders. And then one's actually called the alchemical transformation, which is kind of the three-step process of how do you turn ideas into gold. All right. That was Great overview. So now let's like get into the <laughs> guess, like get into the, the fun meat of it of like what what okay. is this whole know thyself thing? Because that sounds like very deep and meaningful. <laughs> it is. It's uh, philosophical. But so the interesting part was as I was, you know, growing through this organization and growing up in it, you know, even though I started, you know, when I was basically 40 years old, because we ran it for about 12 years before we sold it about four years ago or so. I didn't know who I was as a leader or a manager or an entrepreneur. I thought I knew who I was, but I really didn't spend any time exploring who that was. So I separated out the know thyself piece into two components. One I called prima materia, which is kind of the primary matter of who you are. And one is called the philosopher's stone, which is how you represent yourself. And the reason that I have an entire section on this is because once I started to understand who I was, I under, understood how to lead and manage a group of people because before that I was kind of shooting in the dark. Does that make a little bit of sense? It does, but can you maybe give us an example of, of what that sure. looked like or kind of what you mean by not really knowing yourself and then therefore not knowing exactly how to lead? Yep, absolutely. So for example, in the, in the first part of this prime materia is really to understand what your personality is about, what the core of you is. And the core of you gets expressed as a personality. So I'll give you a, a real clear example. I had a, essentially a consultant who came in and talked to us about our organization, kind of our organization culture, and started to look at our team and asked us to go through these personality tests. Now, there are a thousand personality tests out there. There's Myers-Briggs, there's DISC, there's uh, the Big Five, which is kind of the one that has the most legs today. And as I went through and took these tests, I realized what my personality characteristics were. And one of the things that really hit me hard was, and if you look at like, for example, the Big Five, one of the which is a personality test that anybody can take online. It's fairly inexpensive. Uh, one of the core components is agreeableness. I'm not that agreeable. <laughs> Although I've been told I'm one of the most collaborative executives people have met. Once I have a point of view, I tend to stick with that point of view and decide that once I have the answer, that answer is the answer. And it took me a while to understand, oh, that's my personality. So for example, when I was working with my VP of engineering, he knew more about tech, even though I'm a tech guy, he knew more about tech than I did by design. So I'd have to sit down and put my ego kind of in check and listen to him and listen, even though I'm not that agreeable, right? Even though I have an opinion and actually start to, you know, really consume what he was saying and not just assume and stop him in the middle of a sentence, assume that I was right. I had to assume he was right. And when I consumed that, our relationship got much richer and the technology team was able to really move much faster because I kind of got out of my own way. So understanding my personality type, which is something I think all, all leaders need to do, is really vital. And then you got to consume it. You can't just understand it, but you got to really take it to heart. 
I think for that, that like illustration of it, because it makes so much sense. And I'm thinking about times in, you know, when I've taken these kinds of tests and I, I personally love Myers-Briggs and I learned so much about myself and myself in relationship to others, which is where it all comes into play, where the magic happens, right? Like it's fine who we are, you know, knowing who we are, but then when we have to interact with others and recognizing not only oh, this is how I am and how I prefer to show up in the world. But also that's not how everybody shows up in the world, right? <laughs> that we have that's differences right. and it's helpful to understand what those differences are and that they are innate to us. Yeah, and I'll give you a real clear example. Well, two clear examples. So I love Myers-Briggs as well. And it really helped the organization grow both from a understanding our customer and then understanding each other in our teams. So again, my VP of engineering, I'm a, I'm a big picture guy. So I don't want the details. I want the, the bullet points. I want to know how we're going to make a billion dollars or how we're going to save all the kids or how we're going to cure cancer. I want all the big details. And then whoever's giving me that needs to have the data behind it. But if you just give me data in advance, I start to shut down. And I know this about myself, but I only learned this you know, a decade ago, right? My VP of engineering is a data guy. So he and I would butt heads. So I'll give you a real clear example. I asked him one time, I said, I'm going to the market and buy peanut butter. What does that mean to you? And he said, it means Jif or Skip or Reese's, I guess, right? It's those two peanut butters and they're anywhere between $1.99 and $2.99 a jar. And I said, great. When I go to the supermarket, I'm going to buy peanut butter. I go, look, there's cashew butter and almond butter. And oh, that one's $20 a, a bottle. And maybe that's really good. He thinks I'm flying by the seat of my pants. I think that he's being too constrained. So once we understood that of each other, he was a details guy. I was a big picture guy. When I would walk into his office, I would say, I just need 30 minutes of your time, big picture. Don't go into details. I'm not going to ask you to implement any of this stuff. I just need to bounce an idea off of somebody who's tech. And then maybe a week or two later, he would come back and go, hey, you know, idea number two that you told me when I didn't stop you, that actually has some legs. And I thought about the details and I didn't stop him and start flying in different directions. So I understood that when I flew in different directions, to him, it meant I was operating by the seat of my pants. And he understood that I needed to bounce ideas off each other and vice versa. I understood that when he was coming up with details, he wasn't being constrictive. He was trying to solve the problems that are going to need to be solved when we implement those ideas. Amazing. All right. So how is this different or connected to this philosopher's stone idea? Yep. So the prime materia, I, you know, I kind of thought about that's how you and I and team leaders, how we consume the world. I consume the world in big picture. My VP consumed the world in, you know, implementation details. The philosopher's stone is how do you express yourself to the world? So I took Carl Jung's ideas of archetypes and there are 12 of them. So this is all based in psychology and it's not just kind of fluff coming off the top of my head. This is real, you know, social science that has been around for many, many years. And I said, I express myself, for example, as a magician. I like to take apart, that's an archetype. I like to take things apart, understand how they work at their most basic level, deconstruct things, and then put them back together in kind of this way that seems like magic. One of the guys on my team, his archetype was a rebel. If he, if I told him these are the rules, he immediately wants to break the rules because that's how he expresses himself to the world. So understanding one, how I consume information to consume the world, my prime materia, was really vital to connecting it to, but how does it get expressed? Oh, I express by taking things apart and putting them back together. My colleague expressed by finding a rule that he really didn't think worked very well and trying to break it. 
And then we could talk to each other because I understood how he was expressing to me. He understood how I was expressing to him. And we both understood how we consume the world. So one is an internal, how do I consume stuff? And then one is an external, how do I spit it back out to the world? I can see how these two things are interrelated and how they they can kind of be mutually beneficial to understand both of them. And I'm wondering how do you introduce this to your team? So if this is something you're like, yeah, I could I think my team could benefit from having these <laughs> kinds of mental models and shared understandings. Yeah. Do you just like say, hey guys, let's all take these personality tests or, or kind of what do you recommend doing? Yeah, it's kind of as simple as that. So what was interesting is that, you know, you have to be careful because the personality test can get super complicated. There's 16 letters and, you know, unless you become an expert at it, it, it gets overwhelming. You know, I've got meetings to go to and things to do. So I would, I would recommend, yeah, take the test. Myers-Briggs is great because it's easy to understand. There are a couple of books. Uh, what's my type? What's my type at work that start to digest these, these letters down to four types. So we actually came up with four different types of people. One was a relationship person. And these are called Myers-Briggs type temperaments. So to get a book on it, you can learn about these really quick or just go onto the internet. But yeah, my, I told my whole team, guess what? We're all going to take this one test and then we're all going to talk about it. We're all going to go into meetings and we're going to do this once a month. We're going to do it for you know half hour, 45 minutes. And each person is going to be able to express what they're like. So for example, my business partner was all about relationships. I'm all about systems and big picture. So when I would talk with him, I suddenly understood that he wants to understand how this decision will affect the relationships in the organization. I wanted to understand how this decision would affect the big picture. So there was one day when we came in and we said, all right, partner, tell us who, who you are. So he had taken the test. He understood it you know, a little bit. And then he started to tell us who he was. So in those meetings, we actually started to put labels on each other. So for example, I was the eagle. So I'm constantly up flying, looking at the big picture. My business partner was the dolphin because, you know, they're built on pods and they're very family oriented, very relationship oriented. So we started to use language as a company that allowed us to really understand who we were. So, yeah, my recommendation is tell your team you're going to take these tests. Then once a month, somebody gets to stand up and express who they are and the rest of the team gets to learn about it. I love spacing this out over time and having people actually share who they are and how they show up in the world. And I know that like when I've taken some of these tests, right, they don't always fit perfectly. Like you read the description and you're like, 90% of that's me. Then this one thing over here, just like, so not me. And, and right. so I love that we're not just relying on whatever the report out is to be like, read each other's reports and like learn about these types in the book, but actually get to have someone stand up and say like, this is my type. This is how I show up. These are the things about me that you should know about and like get to highlight for themselves the things that are really resonant and and make it a conversation where you can ask questions and discuss it and say like, oh, that's so interesting. I I can, you know, see now how you show up in that way. And like, oh, well, what about this part over here? Like in this meeting, you were like this, you know, what does that mean? So that's just super yep. cool. And I, and I think it's real important to do it you know, when you're having these discussions to do it in a context that's not just at work. So, I mean, one of the simple was, how do you buy peanut butter, right? You know, just knowing how you do something that simple between me and, you know, kind of my VP of tech was so telling because he understood, oh, this guy's going to, you know, look at a thousand different things. And I understood this guy's going to be very specific in his determinations. We did, uh, how do you buy peanut butter? How do you order sushi? We just did things that were not business context because you really want to find the personality of the person, because that will show up in business, right? 
completely it. That's and makes it so simple, right? It takes out some of the complexity of, of the workspace. All right. So mm-hmm. let's talk now about the kind of part two of this process. So I can't remember what you called it because it was some really funky words. So just <laughs> remind me and tell me what that is. So guide me if I'm uh, talking about something different. It's the alchemical transformation. Yes. That's the three-step process of taking an idea and turning that idea into gold. And that idea can be something that is perhaps, you know, a, a project that your team is working on or how you're hiring people. It's any idea. So it really, you know, it's not doesn't just fit in the entrepreneurial space. It fits in any organization at all different levels. You know, the financial idea of what metrics are we going to look at? So it's three simple steps. Well, it's three easy steps. They're not necessarily simple. They're easy to understand in the rearview mirror. They're more difficult to do proactively. So I'm going to walk you through the three of them and you can ask me a bunch of questions. The first one in alchemical terms was called Negredo. So I just use this cool, funny, almost like D&D language that alchemy has. And it's really straightforward. It's destroy an old rule. So if we think about, let's say, entrepreneurship, and we think about Amazon, which is the quintessential disintermediator of our generation, Amazon destroyed the old rule that books have to be sold in physical bookstores. So when you're creating, when you're going to turn something from lead into gold, one of the first things you have to do is identify the old rule. And maybe, for example, in our, in our sales culture, our initial old rule was the sales guy goes out and talks to our customer. We destroyed that because it wasn't working when we first started our company. Because when we went and talked with our customer, we realized that the customer had a bunch of different people, had different personalities. So when I would go out and talk to a customer, I always brought along someone who was a relationship person. And they just spoke differently. And suddenly our customer could be heard from two different sets of ears. So that's the first step. The second step is create a new rule. Amazon's old rule was books have to be sold in bookstores. The new rule was you can buy any book that's ever been published and have it delivered to your door in two days with this cool new thing called the internet. So the new rule has to replace the old rule. So for example, in our company, again, if I stick with our sales model, old rule was sales guy goes out and talks to customers. New rule was we always send people out in productive pairs, right? And then the third one is the the last one, which is to scale something. And the language I use around that is make it easy enough that anyone can do it and accessible enough that everyone can get their hands on it. So in our sales culture, easy enough was a salesperson could ask anybody in the organization, hey, I need a productive person. I need an attorney to come with me on this one because this is a, a law firm we're talking to or I need an insurance guy and accessible enough that he could ask anyone up and down the organization from, you know, person who's doing data entry all the way up to the CEO. Hey, productive pairing is kind of our idea and I need you to come with me. Could you find a time to come with me? Accessible enough that everybody can do it. So we can go into as much detail as you want about those if you'd like. Yeah. I mean, I'd actually love to dig in starting with like breaking a rule. Like how do you figure out what rules to break. And I and I think specifically, right, not around product development, but if we're managing a team and you're looking at, you know, can you look at this as like how your team works or yeah. like what, how you operate, you know, what, where do you find the rules to break? And then how do you figure out how to break them? Yeah. So like I said, it's easy in, in the rearview mirror. It's tougher, you know, a priori the, you know, in advance. The big thing is all successful projects, all successful teams, all self-directed teams go through this, whether they call it this or not, they all do it. So one of the things that I talk about in the book is I talk about, you have to figure out what you're doing 
and why are you doing it? And if you can find those two, that might be a rule that might be needing to be broken. And I'll give you a clear example. If you know we have, let's say, a product development team and we're always bringing in product managers and product people, the question is, what are we doing? Well, we're always filling our product teams with info, internally focused people. Why are we doing it? Because that's what makes us feel comfortable. Why don't we bring in a customer? Why don't we bring in, you know, so why, why are we doing this? Because it makes us feel comfortable. For me, as soon as you feel comfortable, that's a bad sign. You have to start rocking the boat. So one of the things we did is we, we built our product teams. Every time we built a product team, we said, what are we doing? Oh, we just have our people who tell us how wonderful our product is. Great. Let's find one of our customers and have them come and sit in the meetings. That would be a, that would be the next piece, which is, oh, we're going to change the way that things happen, which is all product teams have a customer rep inside the teams. That's like, sounds so crazy listening to her, right? <laughs> it does, right? But that's exactly right. Because crazy is what drives innovation, right? If you do the same thing you've always done, you're not pushing hard enough. Even diversity and inclusion, if you think about that, the question is, why do we always have this? You know, why do our teams always look like this? Why is it not diversified? Well, because we've always done it. Well, maybe we should stop doing that. Maybe we'll get better information and opinions. So what are you doing and why are you doing it? And literally, we would have brainstorming sessions all the way from finance. So if your finance team is going, well, we're just going to generate the same reports that we always generate. The question is why? Because we're comfortable in generating them. You go back and you go, what if we made new reports? What if these reports had new KPIs that we never tracked before? Are there KPIs that really drive the business or drive our team or drive? Yeah. You know, what are we doing and why are we doing? A lot of times we do things because there's inertia. We just always done it that way, right? Completely. Yeah. And and it's so rare that we take the time to just pause and reflect on everything that's just in motion, right? I was actually having this conversation with a coaching client the other day about how we don't have our we don't have enough mental space right now to just stop and say like, hey, is that thing working the way that it was supposed to work, the way I intended it to work? Is, you know, is this really meeting our needs still, you know, even though we set it up this process this way five years ago, is it still working? And, and we don't give ourselves the time and energy to and space to like do that reflection. And if we just carve out a little bit of time and ask those questions, we would find so many opportunities to f- fix places where there's friction in the system, to fix places where there's conflict amongst colleagues, right? It it doesn't take that much to identify these opportunities. We just don't give ourselves the time and space to have those conversations. Yeah. And and I'll give you an example of where this worked really well with us in HR and hiring. So at the beginning, we used to hire for competency. Oh, you have 10 years in you know, we were in the medical space. You have 10 years in the medical field, or you have, you, you did this thing in the medical field. And we would get people who knew how to do an old set of rules, an old set of steps, but they didn't grow. So one of the things that uh, came up with one of the consultants I hired was a gentleman who wrote a book called How We Choose to Be Happy. And so I'm a Wharton MBA, and I'm reading a book on happiness to drive my business. That's definitely a different way of doing things. And what he identified was that people who are happy have these nine traits. Those also happen to be A players. And so we started to hire around these characteristics. And for example, one of the characteristics is humility, right? So what I used to ask in the past was very competency-driven questions. You know, in the past, when you had this, you know, when this situation came up and you were a physician, what did you do? 
competency-driven question. The different type of question that I, that I started to ask was, I screw up all the time. I, I, I mess up on a daily basis because I'm operating under uncertainty. And here's my last kind of mess up, whether it was personal or professional. When was the last time you messed up, you know, Mr. Potential Employee? And what did you learn from it? And what was interesting was the people who had high competency would come back and say, oh, I never mess up. I never make mistakes. And anytime I would hire someone who would say I never made a mistake, I always ended up six months later regretting that decision. When I hired somebody who said, well, you know, I may not have all the right certifications, but last time I made a mistake, it was this, and this is what I learned from it. Oh, that was a good hire. That was a person who really built the team that really made the team stronger because they had humility and they were willing to push themselves. So we started hiring on characteristics versus competency. Completely different model. Yeah, super fascinating. And I, I like I this there's, there's so much fruitfulness here. I'm wondering now, again, going back to like the team orientation here, are there ways that we can kind of invite our team into this way of thinking, right? So we talked about like you can get your team to think about personality type and how that impacts how we interact. But now how do we get our team to think through this? Like, let's find rules that need to be broken. Let's create new rules and then let's drive towards the kind of the new reality of, or sustaining this change. Yeah. So one of the things that I did, so I, I'm const, I'm a voracious reader and listener of podcasts like yours. And one of the things I learned was from a book called Made to Stick. And it talks about, you know, how I, different ideas stick. And one of the things that they talked about were CIs, commanders and tents. And those come from the military. And they're really just sound bites that the organization can run through. And my teams knew this all the time. And so we had like 35 sound bites that ran all of our teams. And one of the sound bites was a better question is more important than the right answer because it's usually the right answer to the wrong question. So if you start to consume these sound bites, like that's one of them, and we'll talk about a couple others, right? But if you start to consume these sound bites and you start to realize that when someone, my team would come in and we'd have our weekly management meetings, I didn't want them to come in with answers. I wanted them to come in with questions, better questions. And some of the questions would be, how do we grow our team? Is our team the right size? Do we need to grow our team? So just asking questions, because we're a little question answering machines, we'll always come up with an answer. Problem is, we may not be asking the right question. So we would question each other about what questions were we asking. And that would allow us to really build this Socratic dialogue between each other and grow the, the team in the organization. So that one is a, to me, is a real kind of nail on the head, you know, CI or soundbite that really drives things. So I'm big on have a soundbite and then execute it. And for example, like I said, one of the ones was a better question is more important than the right answer because usually the right answer to the wrong question. And we can go over a couple more if you want to kind of explore that. Yes, absolutely. So give us like two more little soundbites and then we're going to have to wrap up. Okay. So one of them, one is ask forgiveness, not permission. So all of the team members and all the different teams would, would come up and they wouldn't be afraid to fail. So they would go, hey, I want to do this thing. And instead of being scared, they would go, it might get shot down by the boss or the boss's boss or the team manager, but everybody has told me I'm supposed to ask questions and I'm supposed to push the boundaries. So I'm going to do that. And in fact, it was expected in our meetings. So that's a big deal. And then one of the other ones was, how do we die today? So my team would come up and we would say, okay, 
where the landmines around the ideas that we're trying to work on, right? Like it'll cost too much, it'll blow the budget, customers might not like it, but being able to go, what are the landmines that are going to really blow up the team in advance? And it's okay to say those things because usually we're afraid to say those kind of things because we're shot down, right? Ask forgiveness, not permission, right? How do we die today? And a better question. Those three right there, I think are, once you get them under your skin and implement them, you'll, you'll be amazed at how much more productive and self-directed your team is. Amazing. And I'm so sad we have to end, but we have to wrap up. So can you tell us about an amazing manager that you worked for and what made this person so fantastic as a boss? Yeah. Does it have to be a boss? <laughs> I have a story that's a quick one. So Mike Yuseem is a teacher at the Wharton School of Business. When I got done with business school, we went on a trek to the Himalayas. So we as 16 MBAs start to climb Mount Everest. And Mike is a their leadership crown jewel at the school. And what was astonishing was his ability to take any situation and kind of generalize it and go, okay, yeah, when we messed up and we sent our you know, our medic uh, away for a, a, a couple of days, and now we have 16 MBAs without a medic. What does that mean on your team? It means identify who are your sharpshooters, who are your really good resources, and make sure they're always part of the team. So his ability to generalize examples really stuck with me, because then I could take it anywhere. I go, oh, yeah, you know, I figure out who my sharpshooters are and always keep them with the team. I love that story. And even though it's not about a boss, it's such a great, it's such a great <laughs> insight or, or lesson that we can all be trying to look for the lesson in life, right? Like the, yeah. the best lessons don't always come from reading a book or listening to a podcast, even though podcasts are awesome, right? Awesome. <laughs> but sometimes <laughs> they just come from like being, paying attention to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Amazing. All right. And where can people learn more about you and pick up a copy of your book? So the book's available at basically any retailer. So go to Amazon and type in Synaptic Alchemy. You'll find it. Barnes & Noble, Apple Bookstore. You can find me on LinkedIn personally. So just go type in my name, Stephen Cardinelli. That's where I spend most of my personal time. And then if you go to synapticalchemy.com, you'll find information about the book and me. Or if you go to facebook.com slash synapticalchemy, you'll find the Facebook group there. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. This was super fun. And I really appreciate you joining me today. Great. I appreciate it. Stephen has offered a sneak peek of his book, Synaptic Alchemy. And for those who get the sneak peek and then decide to purchase the book, he is also offering free access to his upcoming course that is based on the book, which launches at the end of June. This offer is available to members of the Modern Manager community. So to get this guest bonus and other amazing guest bonuses, go to themodernmanager.com join. If you work for a government or nonprofit agency, you get 20% off of any membership level. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit Meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. 
To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.